visual artist Jason Keene and conclude with a book signing. This event is free and open to all ages. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. I'm Wiza Muntali, host of Africa Now, and you're tuned to member-supported WPFW, Washington. Watching comment. Uh, I'm Dave Rabin. I'm joined by my esteemed partner Ray Valencia. Good morning Welcome to our program, everybody. On today's show, we're joined by Slate uh, Alex Salmon uh, on the electoral repercussions of Gaza. APAC is threatening congressional congressional members, uh, largely of the squad and. A very interesting program, I think, for you uh, with the repercussions of uh, Israelis' actions in Gaza on American politics. But first, we are in our fundraising drive, our winter fundraising drive. And uh, what do you think, Ray? Uh, we got, a, I think, a good show for folks and I think uh, something very compelling Um and uh, we bring it to you every week here on uh, Community Watch and Comment, the Tuesday version. Absolutely, and and what's and it's time to call. And what's our goal for the show today, David? What's our pledge goal today? I think our today? goal is five hundred dollars, and we need your support uh, for uh, this program, but more importantly for the wonderful community resource that is WPFW. Uh, your jazz and justice station. Absolutely. And this is the time we need your help, everyone. We really appreciate you listening. Most of the station or a lot of the station is run by volunteers, but we also need help keeping the lights on. You know, we can't take for granted that WPW can just exist without the community support that is needed. A lot of news organizations now, you know, they're laying people off, David. They're shutting their doors, and we are not reliant upon advertisers. We are reliant upon our listeners to take a proactive role in, in keeping this community treasure known as WPFW, Community Building Radio, um, on the air. So we really appreciate you. We know that there are some of you that are struggling right now, but there are others that are doing okay. And we're asking you to pick up that phone because $500, you know, a little bit each month, rather than subscribing to some streaming service, you're making a direct investment in your community when you pledge today. So please call $500. We can do this. And we what's the number, this, David? But... Tell them the number. Who are they, where are they calling? I mean, we, we need your support. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, we are the original uh, community-supported uh, radio station well before NPR, well before PBS. We are the model, 1949, way back in the yeah. day. I wasn't around then. Most of you weren't around then. And, uh, you know, just a wonderful idea. Pacifica, you know, I was in Pacifica for a while before I realized, wait a minute, Pacifica, pacifist. It came out of a, a anti-war, anti-Korean War orientation, and uh, we are the original model of uh, community, uh, non-commercial, non-ad-related uh, uh, radio, and we uh, need your support. Please chime in. Uh, you can call 202-588-9739. Uh, you can go online at wpfwfm.org. Uh, you can also do this wonderful uh, cash app, 
dollar sign WPFW. We have a $500 goal. Please support this community jazz and justice uh, radio station. That is a WPFM on your dial. Uh, you're not going to get this kind of uh, 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 programming anywhere else on the dial. And we need your support. Uh, we come to you every so often, uh, four times a year uh, for your support. And we need it now. You don't have to listen to commercials, but you do need to listen to these fundraising drives. So please show the love. Please show the support. Um, and uh, on with uh, the show. Uh, uh, we're confronted uh, with the horror unfolding in Gaza. It's really quite unspeakable. I think the latest news is an attack on the remaining uh, hospitals in, in Rafa where, where uh, the Palestinians were uh, directed to go uh, from uh, northern Gaza. And uh, there was, uh, it's just, it's really quite unspeakable. I mean, obviously the horrors of October 7th with the Hamas uh, incursion into Israel were unspeakable, but uh, we're talking close to 30,000 deaths of, uh, of Palestinians in Gaza uh, versus uh, 1,200 deaths uh, in the Hamas incursion into Israel. It's, it's uh, you know, as uh, many say, you know, the Israelis are trying to out-crazy uh, the Gazans uh, the how uh, crazy Hamas, excuse me, um, with their incursion into Gaza, and it's it's uh, uh, creating uh, just unspeakable horror for for uh, civilians, uh, largely uh, women and children in Gaza. Uh, but the American uh, Israeli Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC, and its allies are spending lots of money supporting opponents to the squad, outspoken opponents of the Israeli operations in Gaza, uh, members of uh, the, the the House. And we're joined now by Slate's Alex Salmon, who's written uh, quite extensively on this. Uh, Alex Salmon, uh, welcome to Community Watch and Comment. Hey, David, thanks for having me. It's really great having you. Uh, before we get to the squad, can we talk about our president, Mr. Biden? Any any thoughts about his uh, his uh, you know it's it's weakening a little bit now, but uh, any thoughts about his um, support uh, for Israel? He he flew to Israel uh, shortly after the horrors of October seventh, and has been uh, quite supportive. Uh, although it's as I said, uh, weakening a little bit now. But any thoughts about? Uh, President Biden and his support uh, ongoing from uh, groups like APEC. Yeah, definitely. So, so Biden's obviously been a long time uh, be uh, beneficiary of of a of APEC largesse. They've given money to his uh, political campaigns for years and years and years. Um, if you look at the you know top recipients recipients of APEC money in the Senate over decades, you'll see Biden's name right at the top. Um, so he's been a loyal ally of theirs for a long time, uh, and they have rewarded him accordingly. Um, I think actually when you think about Biden's Israel policy or just his disposition towards Israel, it actually is really one of those things where you see his age because uh, his 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 framework for Israel, his orientation towards the Israeli government is just incredibly outmoded at this point. I mean, that's sort of the first thing I think we have to say about it is it his 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 position on Israel was formed decades ago, and it hasn't changed with the current reality of the Netanyahu government, the political situation, the realities of this of this campaign, you know, this utterly brutal, uh, basically civilian campaign in Gaza. Um, and, you know, it's it's I think it's it's out of step with the Democratic Party. Generally, it's, it's really the one thing you can say that he's to the right of his Democratic predecessor on. Obama was definitely you know much further left on Israel than then Biden. Biden's been further left than Obama on pretty much everything else. And of course, this is now threatening to be a defining issue for him. But you know, there's a, I think there's a lot going on there. Biden also is not really a, 
a scholar of foreign policy. It's not something he has worked very hard at or takes a lot of interest in. Yeah. But we know he likes Netanyahu because they both grew up in the Philly suburbs. Uh, so his affinity, you know, his, his his policy is really based off of that personal affinity uh, to guys who sort of speak the same way because they grew up in the same area. Uh, and the sort of calamitous approach is all downstream from that. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw some number that over the years he'd taken over four million, four million dollars from APAC. I mean, you know, I mean, people talk about his mental acuity and uh, you know uh, his ability as an eighty-one-year-old, but. You know, to me, you know, the old school, you know, undying support for 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 whatever Israel wants to do is 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 key here, and he's just kind of like knee jerk uh, reaction to uh, you know what happened to Israel is is you know arguably a serious liability for him. Uh, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, not only does it undermine the entire position of the United States on the world stage, right? Like our performance at the UN, our alliance, our sort of unquestioning alliance with Israel is it has made us into an international pariah. It's been a disaster for the Ukraine, Paul. Like the Ukrainians have, have suffered greatly for it. Um, but at, at another level, it's, it's yeah, it's just the Netanyahu government doesn't have any affinity for Joe Biden. This is not like one one back, you know. Uh, one man scratching the other's back and, and assuming that it'll be uh, um, returned. It, it, it's not going to. Like, the Netanyahu government loves Trump. They would prefer for him to be president. Uh, Biden has yoked himself to Netanyahu, despite the fact that that's very obvious to all involved, and the fact that the Israelis hate Netanyahu on top of it all. Uh, there's no, there's certainly no strategic upside to this alliance in its current form. There's massive political downside for Biden, who already has horrible numbers with young voters and, and voters of color. I mean, these are the demographic groups we've seen over and over and over again. Black right. voters, voters, young voters, all very, very unhappy with what's going on in, in, in Gaza. Uh, absolutely unsupportive of the, of the, of the sort of nonstop weapons transfer to the state of Israel. Uh, and the unquestioning support of Netanyahu. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 one of these things where you almost couldn't draw it up any worse, right? It's like the po- po- strategically, politically, it's all downside for Biden. Uh, it's not good on a on a policy level. It's not good. It's hard to find a place where it's good. And, and you know, Biden's relationship with AIPAC, you're right to point out, very long, uh, very long tenure, very remunerative. Um, but even then, they're not going to, bail him out in the presidential race you know they're not gonna that's not what they do they're not going to weigh in uh against trump in 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 an election in november so um it's 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 hard to find something good in that approach i know i mean it's and let's get specific uh in terms of uh michigan and uh you know large uh Arab uh, American population, uh, particularly around Detroit, uh, and this could could cause serious problems uh, uh, for Biden. I think uh, uh, Representative uh, Congresswoman Taib is is saying. Uh, I, I just I uh, saw recently she's she's calling for uh, in the Michigan primary, which is coming up what next month. Uh, you know for for people uh, to vote uh, uh, for Democrats to vote in the primary uh, non-committed, you know, versus supporting uh, uh, President Biden. Uh, What do you think uh, specifically about uh, what's uh, likely to happen in Michigan for uh, President Biden? It's an interesting campaign there, yeah, because, right, Rashida uh, Tlaib has obviously been very, very vocal about, you know, Palestinian rights, and, uh, you know, she's the only Palestinian-American in Congress, um, her, uh, you know, for, in so doing, she has been censured by her, by her colleagues in Congress. One of the few things they've been able to do, uh, is a bipartisan basis to censure her. Um, which I think is, you know, again, optics of which are terrible. The priorities there are basically despicable, but that's, you know, it's not, to me, it's not a surprise to see her willing to do that. She's been, you know, very unstinting in her support of, of Palestinian rights. Um, 
during her time in Congress. What I think is more interesting, actually, is that we're seeing people like Andy Levin, who's a former congressman in Michigan, uh, sign on to this uncommitted campaign. And, and so Levin uh, was, you know, part of the, the Levin family in, in Michigan, this political yeah. family in, in, in the Democratic Party there, and was a Congress member until he was taken out by APAC uh, in the 2022 cycle. But, um, you know, he's someone who's not a, sort of a radical left wing. You, you, you wouldn't affiliate his politics even very obviously with with Tlaib's. And yet uh, even he has indicated and, you know, he's a former synagogue president as well. We're talking about like, one of the most prominent Jewish families in Michigan politics. Um, and he has indicated sympathy for this campaign to vote uncommitted uh, in the Democratic primary in Michigan um, as a just as to register discontent with the with the policy. And so. You know, when you see someone like that who wanted to be Biden's uh, labor secretary, who's very well thought of in mainstream Democratic circles, um, you know, there then you're working with something, you know, that's that's meaningful. And and we saw, you know, in uh, in New Hampshire, New Hampshire primary, there was a very sort of last second, totally grassroots effort to write in ceasefire uh, on the Democratic ballot in that primary. And uh, you saw, I think, a, a couple thousand uh signatures or votes were were ballots were returned with that on it but this is both a little more organized and has a little more runway and it may prove to be a little more consequential i mean i don't think obviously that biden will lose the state of michigan uh to uncommitted but um i mean these numbers are important because biden didn't win any of these states by very much uh and the, the margins are tiny and so you can't just dismiss this stuff out of hand um and and that campaign i think is interesting it's, it's certainly gotten a lot of support from as you point out the arab american community in michigan which is very substantial. Yeah, I mean it's 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 horrific on one level, and it's 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 terribly interesting on another. I mean that that Biden kind of has this knee jerk reaction to Israel being attacked, which of course they know the um, the events of October seventh were pretty nasty. There's no question, you know. But Israel's reaction is is questionable and I, I i think it's a function of 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 biden's age and kind of knee-jerk support for apac and for israel that uh, have led to this you know military support and we're going to talk later uh if you're willing uh, about uh uh you know the challenge uh, led by bernie sanders to uh you know, unquestioned uh, military support for Israel. But, uh, I mean, just, you know, focusing again on Michigan and, and elsewhere in the country. I mean, this is a serious a challenge uh, to to Biden's uh, presidency. Of course, you know, it goes without saying that, uh, you know, where would Donald Trump be with all this if he were president? I mean, he's arguably you know, in bed with BB, they're both, you know, under criminal indictment and, uh, you know, birds of a feather, if you will. And, uh, you know, if Biden were president, excuse me, if Trump were president, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be much better. Oh, certainly not. Uh, it, I think that probably it would be pretty much the same. Um, but, you know, that's the, I think the problem is when you're when you're engaged in, in, in the persuasion game, when you're trying to get people to vote for you, uh, you know, offering them the devil or the deep blue sea is not often very persuasive. So, you know, uh, Biden can go to Michigan and say, hey, that, you know, Trump is horrible. That's what they're doing. They're sending, you know, they're 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 sending these proxies and they're sending, camp, you know, hiring campaign staff and stuff to Michigan and, and trying desperately to say, hey, you know, you might not like this, but the other guy is worse. And and what you're hearing resoundingly is like, well, that's that's not good enough. That actually, we're not going to vote for someone uh, who is rubber stamping these policies. That's just simply unacceptable. And like, I think that's a pretty human thing to feel. I think that's a very rational thing to feel. And uh, and you know, like Biden has made real. The funny thing about Michigan, of course, is that the Michigan Democratic Party has done fabulously in the last handful of years they've really done a good job there the um you know Gretchen Whitmer as 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 governor and and on down from there you know that 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 party has really rebuilt itself in the last handful of years democrats have done you know have have, have won up and down the ticket there it's amazing uh 
And at the same time, Biden has 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 really closely allied himself with the UAW, right? He went to Michigan and went on the picket line with the UAW. That was an incredible, uh, you know, historic move for a sitting president to do. And at the same time, uh, you can see sort of all of those gains being imperiled by this policy. And, you know, uh, Whitmer was has Governor Whitmer has repeatedly tried to go to Dearborn to talk to the Arab American community and has had her uh, events and invitations canceled. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the setback is, is fantastic in some sense. It's years and years of hard work are being undone in real time. And, and, and for what it's, it's, you know, it's, it's incredibly discouraging, I think. And, and again, if you look at the margins, what did Biden win Michigan by? I mean, we can go through all these swing States and, and look at them, but Biden won obviously by millions of votes in the popular vote, but, but I mean, on a razor's edge in a lot of these swing states and, and in Michigan, um, you know, is, has, has really threatened to undo a lot of progress. That, I mean, it's, progress has been made over years. It's, it's kind of scary. I think we could say that, uh, for folks, you know, it's kind of scary that we're, we're left with the choice between uh, Trump and Biden, but that's a whole nother program. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, the state of our politics in this country is, I think we can say uh, somewhat frightening, but we're going to take a little break here for fundraising. We are have a $500 goal, and we have not cracked it. We need your support. And I should say, you know, we have some wonderful gifts that you can see uh, on our website, and no amount is too large, no amount is too small, but for $50, we're offering uh, uh, during this uh, hour the National Museum of African American History and Culture's 2024 Wall Calendar, and it's it's got just chock full of extraordinary uh, historical events in African American history. A lot of uh, artists' contribution. A welcome um, addition to your your wall hangings, uh, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture 2024 wall calendar. Uh, if you can uh, chalk up, uh, pony up a $50 contribution to this program and to the wonderful resource that is WPFW. What do you think, Ray Valencia? I think today is the day to call and make that $500 donation because we know there are folks out there that can they can take this proactive role to keep WPFW, this community treasure of community building radio on the air. We can't take it for granted that we're going to continue um, just based upon uh, an assumption that, you know, we're fine. We don't need the we don't need the funds, but we do. We need to keep the lights on, pay the lease. There's a lot to keep a radio station going. And so we need your help, listeners, in order to, to reach our pledge today, to reach our pledge goal. And you can reach out to us with um, easy ways to do so. Please become a sustainer. You know, If you make that $100 donation or $50 donation, that's divided over the course of the year. That's less than what you pay for a streaming service. And you can make a direct investment. You're going to get so much more this year out of WPFW than you're going to get from something that you're watching online. So we really here, appreciate, here. yeah, you know, we really appreciate it. And another thing, you know, I'm listening to the guests today and the type of programming that we feature here at WPFW. It's, you know, it's grassroots. It's from the, from bottom up radio, you know, from the perspective of the voter, how are people feeling about sending money to Israel to blow up Gaza? You know, it's like, this is the kind of thing we're focusing on, jazz and justice, um, you know, the oppression of people. And so we want to really focus on this and bring these stories to light, shine a light where there's darkness. And we need your help today. You could cash app us, dollar sign, WPFW. You can reach, reach us at law online at WPFWFM.org. And you can call the station at 202 Five, what's the number, David? Five eight. 202-588-9739. Uh, Thank you. Operators are standing by. And That's right. We need you to step up and show show the love. Uh, I know uh, 
you know, these fundraising drives are not terribly exciting, but, you know, nor is listening to a barrage of commercials. I mean, I'm not watching much commercial television, and uh, when I do, uh, it's just kind of extraordinary, the, the inundation of, uh, uh, of commercials that you're confronted with that they have to deal with. You don't have to deal with that on listener-sponsored WPFW, FM, Pacific Radio for the D.C. region, including Baltimore. Please show the love. Please show the support that uh, we direly need. Uh, we have a $500 goal. We're nowhere near that. Please show the love. Uh, uh, make the call that makes a difference to commute, uh, to support uh, this wonderful resource that is WPFW. And if you... Uh, can pony up $50, you'll get the National Museum of African American History and Culture's 2024 wall calendar. Uh, you know, we've got uh, over 10 months left in the year, and this would be a wonderful addition uh, to your home uh, with plenty of room um, uh, uh, to make notes uh, of important uh, dates that you have coming up and plenty of room to to, to uh, uh, observe and honor uh, the incredible history of African Americans uh, in this country. So please uh, uh, show the love, show the support for our beloved WPFW 202-588-9739 or WPFWFM.org or you can do cash app dollar sign WPFW, and uh, please uh, step up and make uh, the call or go online that makes a difference to support uh, our beloved uh, WPFW. Uh, and back to Slate's uh, Alex uh, Salmon. Uh, so great having you. So we've been talking about uh, Mr. Biden and uh, uh, his support from APAC, but let's, let's go to the, the squad. APAC is and its allies are really going after the squad, uh, largely uh, uh, female, uh, largely, I think, and totally uh, uh, people of color. Of uh, uh, Your estimation of uh, APAC and its allies' uh, 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 impact on uh, the electoral races uh, coming up? Well, it's going to be huge. Um, it's and I think actually, you know, it's sort of the perfect segue in the sense that, like, we talk about Biden's relationship to, to APAC, his relationship to Israel, but his relationship to APAC in particular uh, and how it shows his age. Um, obviously, he hasn't changed with the times, but APAC has really changed. APAC has changed a ton since Biden first got to the Senate in 1973. Um, and and this is where we can see evidence of that. This is where this is most sort of uh, laid bare and um it's a apac's intrusion into democratic politics specifically is a is a profound change in the way the group operates so last in the in the midterms last year we saw for the first time uh that apac stood up its its own super PAC, so its own independent expenditure uh uh outside spending campaign and basically in a, in a series of of open seats and in seats where there were uh two incumbents drawn together by redistricting they basically picked a handful of races and decided them themselves. They 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 pumped so much money into these house races that they just decided the outcome. And and it, it's a really important shift because prior to that, APAC had never been involved in electoral work. APAC obviously is a lobby shop. They give tons of money to representatives. They you know they write their policies for them. They badger them on K Street. They you know they do all the stuff. Uh, they pick them off on the hill. They they. In the way any sort of lobbying firm operates, but they haven't picked winners and losers in elections before. And last year we saw that for the first time, right? It's now two years ago. Um, and and they did that with just the most astounding amount of money. So so to see to see you know hundreds of thousands of dollars spent in a house race and house primary race, very rare. In these in these races, APAC was spending up to seven or eight million dollars on behalf of one candidate over another. Um, both Democratic candidates, often in, in safe blue seats, 
um, where Republicans were not competitive. And they did so basically just to knock out progressive candidates. So just to ensure that these new seats, these open seats were not won by progressives. They were won by the most conservative possible Democrat that, that would that could be put up. And this campaign was incredibly successful. They spent $36 million. When we talk about APAC. Um, and, and in, in this handful of races and, uh, and it sort of set the stage for what we're seeing now, which is this campaign against the squad, which is going to be very different because taking on incumbents is a different game. It's going to be much more bitter. It's going to be much more expensive, but it's, it's, it's a big part of this, um, this new electoral strategy that has not been part of the apex, uh, playbook prior to, to very recently. Yeah. And. It's interesting, and it's not like, you know, um, the squad is not incapable of of raising monies as well. I I think I saw some recent article that says there, there at least some of the squad members are doing pretty well in that regard. Yes, some some of them are. Like obviously, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is is a, you know is an all world fundraiser fundraising machine. Um, Rashida Tlaib has proven to be an incredible fundraiser. I mean, these, you know, these representatives, they, they live entirely on small dollar donations, right? It's 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 100% grassroots funded. There's no corporate PAC money. There's no, you know, they don't get the air cover from these big corporate entities. Um, and so it is a little harder to raise money. And especially this cycle, we've seen uh, enthusiasm for Democrats is very low because the guy at the top of the ticket is very old. Uh, and so it's hard for them to raise money as well. That said, Yes, we've seen huge. I mean, Tlaib has raised an astonishing amount of money. I, in uh, so much money, in fact, that she's been able to raise that they APAC was unable to get uh, uh, an opponent into her race, and and this was despite the fact that they they dangled twenty million dollars, according to uh, reporting in Politico, they dangled twenty million dollars to a number of candidates to run in a primary against just to get into the race against Rashida. Um, and uh, and they couldn't get anyone to take it um, because, you know, she's not going to lose. Uh, and so, you know, the 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 one storyline there was that they had earmarked, you know, at least I mean, 20 million dollars would have been the rock bottom, the floor to, to get this race off the ground. And they couldn't find anyone to do it. So on the one hand yeah. that, you know, that's a sign that's a sign of strength for 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 Rashida. She's not going to lose that. She she's I mean, she also is a great politician is the other side of the coin here. Right. She's. Uh, when it comes to like constituent services and, and on the ground stuff, like she's incredibly right. dedicated. Her reputation is, is very well known. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's just astonishing and, and frightening. I think the power of APAC and its allies, you know, someone like Senator Fetterman uh, from Pennsylvania. And they say that, you know, his staunch support for Israel, which is kind of astonishing on a certain level, I mean, a relatively progressive guy, uh, politician, but, uh, you know, they say that's in part because he's concerned about what would happen if he wasn't supporting, you know, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, and that, that's not just the case with Fetterman. It's the case all over the country, you know, what would happen, you know, the concern of politicians, what would happen if they were not supporting uh, Israel staunchly? If you could just touch on that. Right. I mean, that that's sort of the fear in everyone's mind. It, it's 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 a constant. It's truly a constant fear in in the mind of 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 de- I mean, largely Democratic politicians, but mostly progressive politicians. Right. If you if you spark the ire of of APAC, uh, the, the consequences are are fantastic. I mean, they're just they're just huge because they have all seemingly infinite money and they're willing to deploy it basically in any context. Uh, and we know that that can turn elections. We know that that can you know I mean it, it's not it's not a long walk from having a lot of money and, maybe, and being able to 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 win or lose an election. And and um, all of these, I think, all of these representatives have in some sense are operating with a fear of. You know, if they say something that is perceived as being, you know, critical of the Netanyahu government, what will the consequence be? And with Fetterman, I mean, that was, again, something that we saw in real time when he was up in that primary race in 22. He was running against Connor Lamb, who sort of self-styled as a, you know, a real moderate, a sort of, you know, 
right on the edge, like a sort of center-right Democrat, almost you would say. And Fetterman was a progressive in that race, and he said he was progressive, and he <laughs> acted like it, and he you know embraced progressive policies. Uh, but they their their campaign at the time was really worried that that if uh, if APAC decided to get into that primary race and throw millions of dollars on the scale uh, on behalf of Lamb, that Fetterman would lose. It was you know it was a close. It was supposed to be a pretty close race. And so what did they do? They 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 went to APAC and said you know we're uh, our policy is not decided on this. We, you know, we, the, 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 the classic slug line of DC politicians is, uh, I w I want to learn more about this. That's what they always say, uh, that I'm open to learning more. And then APAC will say, we're so glad to hear that you're open to learning more. Um, and so Fetterman, Fetterman was open to learning more. And he, he learned of course, that, uh, that there was great strategic advantage to being, uh, to being open to learning more. Uh, and then, you know, uh, decided that he was a, a staunch, hard right uh, Israel hawk, and um, the thing about Fetterman is that he also loves to do this sort of reflexive govern on feel sort of thing. So when he started getting criticized for being this way, and people started saying this is hypocritical or this is you know sort of contra to what you ran on, then he was like, "All right, I'm going to make it my entire personality, and I'm going to antagonize protesters, and I'm going to you know uh, robe myself in the Israeli flag," you know. So. Um, but that's that's the calculation. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really it's quite quite bizarre, quite uh, strange. And and we said that, you know, that you know, not necessarily focusing on Fetterman, but the squad members are staunch advocates for progressive causes uh, that include Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, police reform, student debt relief. I mean, these are staunch people of color progressives uh that that are uh, under attack from uh apac and and its allies and i think this is what's really worth underscoring is that it has a lot to do with israel policy it has a lot to do with october 7th right it also has fundamentally nothing to do with that at, at the same time because what apac right. has become and right. what that you know what what it sort of evolved to be is really just a conduit for Republican advocacy, and that's something that has changed recently in it, you know in in the last handful of cycles as well. Is that you know the the amount of money that was allocated to to knock the squad or you know as many progressives as possible out of Congress that was allocated before October seventh. Uh, they they were planning to do this either way because ultimately it's about Israel policy. But if you look at the ads that they run against you know against progressives against these incumbents. They don't mention Israel. They very rarely will they mention Israel policy because most Americans don't care that much about that stuff. Like it just hasn't been a high salient issue. There are so many other problems in this country. Uh, you're not going to swing a Democratic primary election based on, oh, well, one of the people says, you know, unlimited uh, weapons to Israel. And the other person says, let's condition it. If anything, the latter is more popular inside the Democratic Party, certainly. I mean, we, we've seen polling that says 80 percent of Democrats want a ceasefire. Um, which is pretty much held steady for the last four months. Um, and, you know, it's it's so right. So what is, it, what is it ultimately about? Well, oftentimes it's just about Republican policy priorities. It's about knocking out vocal advocates for Medicare for all, for increased taxation on the wealthy, for Green New Deal. Um, and that's not even very, you know, that's pretty thinly veiled stuff. I mean, what they're doing is they're raising money directly from Republican mega donors. And, you know, we can go through the list of the FEC filings. We know exactly who they are. They're Trump supporters, they're Rudy Giuliani donors, they're Nikki Haley mega donors, mm -hmm. uh, and they're taking that money and then they're just, you know, buying out uh, Democratic elections to move the Democratic caucus to the right. And they're doing so on behalf of those, you know, Republican interest groups. And 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 that's sort of the whole game in a lot of ways. And, um, and you know, the the fact it's it's sort of hard to talk about these things because it, it both is about Israel policy. It's very high salience in this moment, but it also is really just a Republican entity like we have to say like the, the modern NRA is right. It's like the modern NRA. It's it's a group that takes money, it launders it through a single issue advocacy organization, and it advances the causes of 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 the far right. Yep, yep. We have a question for you, uh, Alex, from my uh, co-host uh, uh, Ray Valencia. Go ahead with your question, Ray. Hey, thanks so much, Alex. This is really interesting and. You know, I, I just want to go back just a minute, what you had mentioned about uh, the amount of money that APAC invested in the 2020 primaries in the midterms. You said there was like $36 million that they uh, put in there. And then 
What elections did they flip? I mean, how many of those seats do you think they had an impact on in 2022? Yeah, you know, I think they only lost one, which is pretty astounding. I think every race they got into, um, they they pretty much won, which, which you know, it's a pretty mind-boggling result. I think that the, the official, so there are a number of different super PACs that they stood up. Their main one was called United Democracy Project. I think they spent just shy of $30 million through that one. They stood up another one um, just for the New York 11 race. Um, so the the ones that come to mind, I mean, the, the one that was, I think, the the one where this started actually was in Ohio. So there was a race. Mm. Nina Turner was this sort of uh, like yes. aggressive who, uh, you know, Bernie surrogate, who many of, you know, many mm-hmm. of our listeners here may be familiar with. She ran against Chantel Brown in this very blue seat in Ohio 11. Chantel Brown is sort of a moderate Democrat with a you know low name recognition. Um, and these Israel PACs came in for her, spent a t- millions of dollars and basically flipped the result. Uh, Turner lost. Uh, and then they ran again uh, in 2022. So they ran once in 21, which was special. They ran again in 22. Same outcome. Uh, Turner got crushed even more. Um, and that basically solidified the approach. The, the really high-profile races, there was Andy Levin in Michigan, who we've mentioned, you know, mm. scion of this political family in Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, really strong labor bona fides, uh, son of a senator, been in ho- the House for a while, um, former president of a synagogue, leader of the Jewish community, was drawn into this district by redistricting with this woman, Haley Stevens, who was sort of a no-name back- backbencher type, um, yeah. not Jewish. Um mm-hmm. And uh, and they they blasted, I think it was six million dollars in the end for for Stevens and knocked Levin out. Um, There was another race, actually, which I thought was really interesting in Maryland. Um, In Maryland four, it was uh, Glenn Ivy versus Donna Edwards. And Ivy uh, Edwards was like one of Nancy Pelosi's closest allies, you know, like really a friend of leadership, like the sort of person that. You know, you don't want to cross leadership, generally speaking. You know, that's the sort of a that's a dangerous mm-hmm. game to play. And they ended yeah. up putting, <clears throat> excuse me, even more into that race. I think it was like eight eight million dollars on behalf of Ivy, and they ended up uh, trouncing him in that one as well. So, or tr- trouncing Edwards. Um, and I think that there were maybe like eleven races or something like that uh, all over the map. But they uh, they didn't much lose. They they lost only one I can think of, and 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 the one they lost their. Uh, the guy who won ended up becoming a total Israel hawk uh, in Tree Tanadar, who's also a Michigan Michigan 13 representative. Um, and he was just self-funded. He's a multimillionaire, so he had enough money that he could, you know, sort of match them shot for shot. Ward him off, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it's a very long way of saying that, that those were the sort of races. New York 11 was another one with Dan Goldman, who also self-funded. Oh, yeah, also massively. Dan Goldman, right. Yeah, but yeah. then they also came through for him and with a ton of money as if he even needed it. Like he, he even needed it, but yeah. yeah. No, he's a torque server for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, because I'm listening to this and this is where my antennas are really going up because uh, it's all it's going to be really about the down ballot races in in this election cycle because like you keep iterating that people are so turned off by Biden and so, in you know, the Democratic Party, they're really going to put an emphasis on uh, lower lower uh, ticket races, Senate and and House. So that's where I think the uh, the game is going to really be played by uh, by lobbyists such as APAC. And there's kind of a diminishing rate of return on the federal level, right? I mean, you can only throw so many dollars at at you know Biden's campaign; and it's going to make a difference, you know. So. It seems to me like it's going to be a much better investment for them to uh, focus on, on House and Senate. Yeah, I mean, and the thing yeah. is, that they're totally happy for Republicans to win. They would actually prefer. Mm-hmm. It. So you know, it's like if Biden loses to Trump, they don't care. They're they they they're going home happy either way. Uh, oh yeah. And you know, it's like we saw this also at the same time as they were you know tipping these Democratic House races. They also endorsed 109 uh, uh, Republicans who voted to overturn the 2020 election. So you know, it's like. They they they're out there, you know. They've endorsed the most most right wing of of the Republican Party, but also like basically any outcome works for them. If if it's if it, any Republican wins, they're happy. If it's if it's a right wing Democrat that wins, they're happy. Um, and so you know, it's and if it's, and like you said, if Biden wins, they're okay. Right, and if Biden so, wins, so yeah, fun. 
So um, focus on the house and yeah, focus on the house, focus on state houses too. Right. Yeah. You know what? I, I hate to oh, interrupt this, this <laughs> wonderful discussion, but we are in our fundraising drive and we have not in any shape or form cracked our, our $500 goal. Please, please support uh, this program. And more importantly, needless to say, uh, the community resources. Jazz and Justice, WPFW, 202-588-9739. You can go online, wpfwfm.org. You can also do cash app, dollar sign, WPFW. We need to, to have some evidence that you support this program. And as I said, more importantly, WPFW, uh, your station for Jazz and Justice. We don't... Uh, inundate you with commercials like you're here everywhere almost everywhere else on the dial we do come to you asking you for for your support for this uh, listener sponsored wpfw and uh, no amount is too large no amount of too small but for 50 dollars, you can get the national museum of african-american history and cultures 2024 wall calendar we'll get it to you post haste very quickly uh we've got 10 months over 10 months left in the the year and this will be a, a welcome addition uh we think to your home uh the the the, the national museum of african-american history and cultures 2024 walt calendar uh plenty of room uh to be reminded of all matters and uh, uh historical to african-american history and um, uh, please show the support for this program and for uh, our beloved WPFW. A revolutionary radio for revolutionary times. That's the mm. slogan of this campaign and we need you to to step up and show the love. 202-588-9739 or WPFWFM.org or dollar sign at WPFW for you uh, folks that use Cash App. Please show the love. Please show the support. And back to our uh, guests. In the we just have about five minutes left. So uh, Alex Salmon of, of Slate, what do you think about this? You know, Bernie Sanders has been. It's been interesting. You know, he's. I believe he's still not technically calling for a ceasefire. But he's been in the vanguard of calling for, you know, some kind of conditions on U.S. military support uh, for Israel. Your your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see Bernie operate in this moment because he he's trying to thread a very difficult needle. I think, and and again, I think you know, in large part, you have to say that his age also plays into this because he too, despite being a you know a staunch advocate for. Uh, you know, causes of justice, you know, uh, across his career, across the world. Um, yeah, is, is really squeamish about like, you know, saying the word ceasefire. He won't, he won't say it. He's not calling for it. He'll, he'll get up to the edge of saying it, but he, but he's not calling for it. Um, and when the issue of, you know, uh, pursuing sanctions or, or, you know, boycott or, you know, BDS, uh, he is also not supportive of that and, and has been asked repeatedly about that at, at very, in very, very, uh, very certain terms um, and has declined to endorse any of those positions. Uh, what he has done is sort of led this campaign about conditioning um, aid, military aid to Israel, which is obviously still a very substantial, would be a very substantial thing to do. I mean, I, the, the laws that are on the books uh, are, are more than enough to preempt any further weapons transfer to Israel. I mean, just the Leahy law alone that was penned by his former Vermont colleague, uh, Patrick Leahy, um, would be uh, standard enough to unequivocally prevent any further weapons transfer to Israel. Um, but that, you know, Senate is not interested in enforcing the laws. Um, and so Bernie's on this campaign to, to condition this aid and, and, and is, has taken umbrage at the particular military funding package that's being deliberated right now. That's like $86 billion, I think, for a number of countries, um, including Israel. And so, he, he, yeah, he, he's been a leader of this campaign in the Senate. The interesting about the Senate, funny enough, is that uh, 
that actually I think there is more broad skepticism towards Israel amongst Democratic senators than there is in the House. Um, and so you've seen even like Chris Van Hollen, senator from Maryland, who is not by any stretch, you know, doesn't certainly not someone you've mixed up with Bernie Sanders, uh, has been, you know, almost as vocal about this as, as Bernie has been. So um, it's, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a meaningful campaign. I don't know if it's going to succeed. Um, it also is sort of contiguous with the with, you know, there were some efforts in 2021 to start talking about conditioning aid to Israel. Um, I mean, given the acuteness of the situation in Rafa right now, um, it's hard to say that this feels like it's appropriate to the to the moment, just just at that level. But it is a meaningful campaign and something that we've seen Bernie get more and more vocal about. Um, and also, you know, someone who's in an election year himself uh, for not for nothing, not that he is not any threat of losing his Senate seat in Vermont, but uh, but also uh, in a reelection year. So that stuff can also sometimes inform uh, the responses that we see from some of these elected representatives. So um, yeah, I think it's an interesting, interesting uh, development that he's, he's pushing forward. Indeed. We are going to have to end it there. We really appreciate your speaking with us uh, today. I've been speaking with Alex Salmon of Slate uh, magazine. Uh, check out his, his uh, ongoing, uh, uh, Additions, uh, contribution to Slate at uh, what is it, slate.com. Just um, great to have you on the program. Great to have you uh, contributing to awareness about uh, what's going on uh, electorally here and in Israel. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Be well. And um, we are at the end of our. Uh, approaching the end of our program, but we need your support. Uh, we're not getting it at the moment, and we really need you to step up, 202-588-9739. You can also contribute WPFWFM.org or cash app dollar sign WPFW. Uh, no amount is too large. No amount is too small as our Beloved uh, news director, uh, Skia <laughs> Muhammad, used mm. to say, um, but for $50, you can get the National Museum of African American History and Culture's 2024 wall calendar. It'll be a, a welcome addition, I think, to your home. A beautiful artistic uh, uh, creations displayed and uh, ample room for, you know, making notes about uh your upcoming uh, important events and uh, whatever you can give would be greatly appreciated. But $50, you can get this, this wonderful uh, calendar. What do you think, Ray? I think that now is the time to make the call because, you know, I thought a lot about this in the past when you're thinking about donating to the radio station, you're listening to the program. You're like, yeah, I really should make that donation. And then you don't. And another day goes by. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, once you make that donation, once you pick up that phone, you're going to feel so much better because now you're a part of this thing. You know, now you're really like a part of the community. You're part of this community treasure of WPFW community building radio. And so becoming a sustainer, people that do, they say how good they feel about it. I feel good about it. I feel so much better after you pick up the phone. And like David has said, we don't have advertising. We just pester you every once in a while. But once, uh, but when we do, it's because it's really important. And so today is that day that you could get on the other side of this and become a part of this community, a, di a direct investor in, in making this in its in perpetuating WPFW because we can't make the assumption that it's that it's just going to be here and it's just going to exist forever. We have to indeed, indeed join in, right? Absolutely. Yep, yep. And I want to thank uh, an anonymous donor uh, from Waldorf for their generous $150 contribution. Thank That's you so, so sweet. much. Thank you so much. And a $50 contribution again from an anonymous uh, donor i mean you know i really appreciate these anonymous donors they don't want the glory and uh 
you know, me, me, me. No, they're making, here. Absolutely. They're, they're, they're listening, and the Alexandria supporter contributed $50. Please chime in. Uh, we're, we're not even halfway to our goal of $500. And, oh, uh, we can make even, this. Yeah, just one later, call. We, we, have, we have six minutes left, and please show the love uh, and support this resource. Uh, that is WPFW, and that's going to do it for the show. Thanks to the amazing Mike for his engineering expertise. Coming up, we've got the news headlines, followed by the amazing, wonderful Lady Murr. And don't forget the blues. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Rabin, joined by uh, my dear uh, Rave. WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. Today is Tuesday, February 20th. Here are some headlines. The United States vetoed a UN Security Council resolution today that called for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Algeria presented the resolution. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. Ambassador to the UN, said the resolution would negatively impact negotiations between Israel and Hamas on the release of hostages held in Gaza. Meanwhile, the U.S. is proposing a Security Council draft resolution calling for a, quote, temporary ceasefire in Gaza as soon as practicable, close quote. The draft measure also calls for the release of all hostages and an end to restrictions on the delivery of humanitarian aid. It also warns against Israel's planned offensive in Rafah, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have sought refuge. It's not clear when the U.S. proposal will be put to a vote. In related news, arguments continue today at the International Court of Justice on the legal consequences of Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. More than 50 countries are asking the top UN court to issue a non-binding legal opinion against Israel's occupation of the West Bank, Jerusalem, and Gaza since 1967. The court began its first of six days of public hearings yesterday. That's when the Palestinian foreign minister accused Israel of apartheid and urged the UN's top court to declare that Israel's occupation of lands sought for a Palestinian state is illegal and must end immediately and unconditionally for any hope for a two-state future to survive. The United States is set to participate tomorrow. In other news, Julian Assange's legal team returned to London's High Court today for the first of two days of hearings to decide whether the WikiLeaks founder may appeal a United States request for extradition to stand trial on espionage charges. Those charges carry maximum penalties of 175 years. Assange has been fighting extradition for more than a decade, including seven years in self-exile in the Ecuadorian embassy in London and the last five years in a high-security prison. If the court's decision goes against Assange, he must be extradited within 28 days. However, his legal team is expected to apply to the European Court of Human Rights to block the extradition. And a new poll released over the weekend ranked Donald Trump as the worst president in U.S. history. That's according to the 2024 Presidential Greatness Project Expert Survey, which asks U.S. historians to rank the nation's presidents. More than 150 historians participated in the survey. President Biden was ranked as the nation's 14th best president in the poll. As for the top three slots, 
Those went to Abraham Lincoln, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and George Washington in that order. Fourth place went to Theodore Roosevelt and fifth to Thomas Jefferson. Trump also took the award for being the most polarizing of the ranked presidents in this year's poll. And in weather today in Washington, D.C., it is 42 degrees and sunny. For WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. (music) 